So definitely a little complicated gospel. Some people like scratching their heads. What's our Lord doing with that image? And I'm not going to go there too much other than in this context of, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our trust and, and docility to your word, to your command. Help us to follow you. Lord, increase our faith. Then he takes this image, our Lord says, well, when you do all that God commands you, and you do what you were supposed to do, and you come in and you feel entitled, well, Lord, you should do what I asked you to do because I did all these things for you. Like, that's not faith. And when our Lord sometimes doesn't do what you ask him to do after you've been working hard all day and doing his will and following his commands, and sometimes that prayer, Lord, I'd like a million dollars, and he doesn't grant it to you, he's like, why are you resentful? You were doing what you were supposed to do. All that being said, the backstory is I would absolutely answer sometimes great needs in this life, and in the next, he will be the one serving you and me at the table in the kingdom. That's what he promised. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about this petition, this, this, this whole message of like, Lord, increase our faith. What do we mean by that? Especially in like the first reading, when you hear Habakkuk and the people saying, Lord, we, we cry out to you and we say, look, Lord, how terrible things are. Look at the violence going on. And you seem not to hear. Why should we have faith? And the answer in Habakkuk is, Lord, there's a promise, wait for it. It will happen for you one day, wait for it, wait for it. That's hard for us to maintain faith, to keep the faith, as St. Paul would say. And it's easiest for us to lose faith. Even St. Paul to Timothy, bear your share of the hardships when faith is challenging, when living the life of Christ and being docile to his message is challenging. Because sometimes it is in this broken world challenging to live and walk by faith. So we'll go into that, and honestly, this could be like a six-hour seminar, so we won't do that, but um, it is kind of hard to touch on this and, and, and do it justice. However, any Spider-Man fans? Spider-Man? Anybody like Spider-Man? Nobody likes Spider-Man? Closet fans even? Okay. Thank you. Finally. All right, good. So, Spider-Man, and don't say you don't know Spider-Man because you're too old, because the comic was written in the 1930s, okay? It's like, it's real. So you have to know Spider and Man and put them together, and that's Spider-Man. I don't know, but anyway, bear with me. In the, not the recent movie, but the one before, it's Spider-Man Far From Home. He's on vacation in France and, and whatever. Um, the enemy is Mysterio. That's the name of the enemy. Kind of maybe that's a dig at Catholic words. I don't know, mystery. We always talk about like things that are hard for us to understand. Um, I'll get into that later, but um, the enemy uses delusion, illusion, to deceive. He uses technology and media to create illusions of disasters or fake enemies that he's somehow able to demolish and vanquish. And so the whole point is to get the world to believe that he's the superhero, that they would trust in him and follow him and submit to him and honor him and all these things that we do for superheroes sometimes. Towards the end, as Spider-Man is trying to stop him, his last attack, spoiler, is to show or, or presume or help us believe that the real and proven superhero, i.e. Spider-Man, in whom for so long the world has put their faith and trust, was really a liar seeking to delude the crowds and take all the control for himself. He says at one point in the movie, you see, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, you see, people need to believe. And nowadays they'll believe anything. You're just a kid in a sweatsuit dressed up as Spider-Man. I created Mysterio to give the people something worth believing in. I control truth. Very profound conversation there, especially for our day and age. 
What is true? Which one's right? Which one's trustworthy? Which one is worthy of faith, of submitting my intelligence to something? What is it? What makes it trustworthy? What is faith that I'm asking for? And if you switch in the, in the roles a little bit in that movie, for, think about it this way. At some point, we know, we should know, God entered history. God revealed so much to us, did so much for us, showed us so many things about a way to his eternal life, even through not just sin and bad things, but even through death itself. And he entrusted that message, that way of life, that salvation to the apostles, his followers, the apostolic community of the faithful. He said, now you go and bring this gift to all men and women because it's meant for all men and women. And a little history lesson, if we don't know our history, that community was a lighthouse in so many historical storms of confusion and other things and just the whole pantheistic, paganistic, whatever, like we no longer offer human sacrifice, thanks be to God and the church, and other ways that enlightened us to say, you know those ways that you were doing before? There's a better way. There's a fullness that God has revealed to us. And it was received and trusted for 1,500 plus years, even to today. That's who we are, right? 2022. It's interesting, though, because that doctor that was given to heal us with Christ's salvation and saving grace, you got to the 1500s and there was some confusion and, and some dis division and struggles, and it's all real because human beings are broken. Um, but in the 1600s, we started a period in history that we call today the Enlightenment. They actually called themselves the Enlightened Ones. And it was a whole sense that finally, mankind has gotten past the dark ages of superstition and religion, and we have reason and science, and we've entered the Enlightenment. And since then, that's like 500 years ago, we're drinking some of the same Kool-Aid today. But it's weird because there's a whole lot of social media and technology and twisted media blasts and voices that kind of cast doubt upon our faith in the light that God wanted to give us. And suddenly the one that would be the one we put our trust in for 1,500 plus years, just like the movie, suddenly we're being led to distrust that and kind of scratch our heads and wonder, well, maybe there is no God. Maybe, I don't know, this whole God thing is really a God delusion, which is a book written a few years ago. Maybe this Christian faith is just a bunch of naive people who will actually believe anything. And maybe the Catholic religion is just manipulating and taking control. It's a power play. What if that were true? Then what do you do? Which one's right? How would you know? Which delusion is the delusion and which one's the truth? Which one do you follow? It's interesting though, it's very real. I was actually struck that whole concept of you're just a kid in a sweatsuit. Catholic Church, you're just a bunch of people in, in, in bishops' outfits and, and, and whatever you play in, your, in your whatever. But really, the world needs something better. I don't know. But you hear it a lot, in different ways. It's naive to believe. Don't believe what you can't see yourself. Don't believe what you can't put under a microscope or prove in, your, in front of you. Because that would be immature. You need to be mature and, and knowledgeable. And sometimes you hear a thousand things. I'm just going list to list a few of them, because you don't want to be here all day. But we talk about this a lot, like 
Someone points to, oh, look at the world today. Oh my gosh, there's terrorism, there's corruption, even in the church, there's corrupt individuals, there's a suffering world out there. It's all messed up and messy and broken. How would you think there's a God, much less a good God, who's all-powerful? Surely those two can't go together. You can't deny the broken world, so you have to deny, deny God. It's a hoax. It's not true. And I'll answer that really quickly, and there's a lot more we could be said, that could be said for that, but and you've heard me say this before. If mom tells you, go clean your room, and you go upstairs, and two hours later, mom goes upstairs and finds the room a total mess. Does that mean that mom doesn't exist? Or maybe that you were given tremendous freedom and authority over your room, power to influence it, and you misuse that freedom. Does evil prove that God doesn't exist or that mankind is free, even so far as to mess things up? And that's exactly what we've been taught in, in God's revelation, is that yes, we have messed things up. But God is very much present, not non-existent. Another thing you hear a lot is that the church, especially the Catholic church, is opposed to free thinking. The church is closed-minded in her traditionalist views. Don't get me wrong, some individuals can be kind of closed-minded and traditionalist, believing in tradition for the sake of tradition and not open-minded to a better way of understanding things. But I would say that anybody who's convinced of anything, at some point, you do become closed-minded. That's what the mind is for. It's open to a whole world of amazing things. As soon as it finds out that two plus two is four, it closes its mind on that truth. And when you try to tell it that two plus two is really seven, it's not going to open the mind. And you should not, you should not open your mind in that moment. There are moments to close the mind around truth. It was made for that. If you, keep it open, if you try to keep it open to every single possibility out there and never close it and never be convinced of anything, well, that's not even human. You were made for truth. On the contrary, when I go to the scientist or the atheist or the medical profession person who doesn't believe and thinks that God is kind of a hoax, and I say, doctor, I really think this is a miracle because you can't really explain why I'm suddenly healed today. And he says, that's not true. Miracles don't exist. Is that open-minded or closed-minded? It's closed insofar as maybe he's right, I don't know, but he's closed his mind around something he believes is true. So closed-minded, it has to go both ways. That's the whole point. Once you find something true that you think is true, you hold on to it, and then you can prove and reinforce, yes, this is true, or no, you know what? You're being a little closed-minded there. You can't explain how I'm healed. Maybe you can reopen your mind to miracles. Maybe, just maybe. Faith is opposed to science. You hear that a lot. But if you know your history, especially Catholic individual, your history, your heritage, is a whole lot of scientific wisdom. Copernicus, atheist or Catholic cleric? Catholic cleric, his Catholicism, spurred him to look at the stars and look at the motion of the earth and the stars and realize, hey, you know what? We've always kind of heard that the sun was you know, revolving around the earth because that's what we see in the morning and the afternoon, but that's not really true. That was a Catholic who discovered that. Wait, what about Galileo and the church silencing him? We'll read the history before you have an opinion on it. But it was Copernicus who started that idea. I won't go into Galileo because, I mean, in a lot of ways he was right, but in some ways he was wrong. And the church's insistence was that he present his theory as a theory. So they were open to the theory. The Bible, the Bible is divisive. Don't read it. The Bible is closed to evolution, it's closed to women, it's closed to anyone seeking their personal freedoms. It's trash. 
Well, if you take individual little nuggets of whatever and you balloon them into some crazy message, well, you can believe that maybe, but our, our understanding of the Bible is much deeper than that. Well, no one's been given a key to rightly interpret the scriptures. Oh, you can think that if you want, but our Lord actually did give the keys to the kingdom to Peter, and he passed that on. I don't believe the Bible has its own words all by itself, outside of any context. I've received it within a context. I'm not worried. I know what it teaches. I don't have to doubt. I know it can be manipulated by the wrong individuals. I don't have to believe them in their manipulations of what it says. Because you can take any text and misinterpret it. But you don't have the authority for me to submit to, but someone does. All bishops and priests, they're just fill in the blank, especially today. Not usually a positive spin. Some have done some terrible things. The illusion and the projection in the media sometimes projects a whole weird story on everybody. That's not true. It's a twisting. Catholic guilt is just the weapon of manipulation. Well, what is guilt? We talked about this last week. Where does it come from? And if someone reminds you that you might want to feel guilty in a certain moment, we'll come back to that. No one who follows Catholic moral teachings can be happy. They're too hard. Especially the life issues. This is the Respect Life month of October. And especially the sexual issues. No one really lives those things. And anyone who does, they're really unhappy. And they're presenting a false front if they're smiling. They're fake. They're hypocrites. They're judging you who don't. I don't know. I mean, the struggle is real, don't get me wrong, but people who've discovered that freedom, that is a very profound freedom, they realize it, and what they had before in their enslavement to different addictions, they're better off now. They're happier now. They still struggle, but they're understanding what direction they're called to go in. So anyway, just a whole lot of different voices and efforts that are basically having the general message that we talked about, this, this effort to take what we've always trusted in, and twist it to it sounds like it's a delusion, the God delusion, everything else is, is it's not to be trusted. My faith in God, especially my, my Catholic teachings, why would I believe those things? I don't want that faith, because that's naive. And this perception, this delusion is very much present today. The darkness is claiming that the light that God gave us is not to be trusted. It's darkness. Really, you should believe in, I don't know, they don't really present anything better. Believe in yourself. Believe in your own feelings, because those are flawless. That's not true. Believe in your friends, because friends who say their friends never lead you astray. That's not true either. They have nothing better to present. They just shed darkness and doubt over the truth and the gift that our Lord wanted to offer us. I'll close off, and I know it kind of skyrocketed to a very high level here, and we'll kind of gradually land the plane, but um, what is faith, briefly? What are you talking about? Lord, increase my faith. Faith, in, in, in our modern age, sadly, it has this understanding of like, oh, it's just irrational sentiment. Irrational sentiment. You have this feeling that you're not alone, that maybe there's a God, and you just follow that because you feel like it. And if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. No big deal. That's not faith. Irrational sentiment, irrational instinct. That's not what we're talking about. Lord, don't increase that. Faith is deeper. I ask you, what informs your intelligence? What informs what you believe, what you know, what you're convinced of, what values you live by? Where does that come from? We're talking about faith as a submission to, of my intelligence to one I know is trustworthy, especially in the case of Jesus' is, is, you know, the petition, Lord, increase my faith, my faith in you, Lord, my faith in what you have revealed. 
But let's get real, because every knowledge, every value is based on some sort of faith in someone or something. Everything. I call it lowercase faith versus uppercase faith. But even your senses, you have faith in your senses that they work. Real quick, is this carpet, is it green? Answer me. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Well, I don't know. That might be blue. Who knows? I can't judge anybody. No, it's green. It's totally green. You don't need to doubt that. However, if you know someone who's colorblind, they've had to realize that when they think this is blue, that they can't trust their sense of sight in certain circumstances. And they have to have indirect, not direct, knowledge of the color of the carpet. Someone else has to inform their beliefs about the carpet. That it's green, even though their sense is a little off. Because their sense is a little off, they have to believe someone else who does know better. There's a whole bunch of things, and I won't go too deep, but again, the sun going around the earth. You saw the sun over there, it went over there, but the scientist tells you, and you believe him with belief, faith, credence, he's trustworthy, worthy of trust, that actually the sun didn't move at all relative to the earth. It felt like it, seemed like it, but it's not true. And I trust him. He's worthy, and so I follow what he says. You tell your loved one, your child or your spouse or whatever, you're special. Is that true? Is that a true statement? Is that just your opinion? And maybe his football coach, when he dropped the football, had a different opinion. No, you're not so special, and you won't play next game either. Which is true. I don't know, I, we just kind of say these things to make each other feel better. Is that what, I mean, that's, that's, that really is where philosophy has gone for the last 400 years. I don't know. I just state an opinion. That was Immanuel Kant, by the way. I can't know. Um, if you're a Christian and you know what happened 2,000 years ago, you look at that. God said, you're worth everything. The price of my beloved son. Don't doubt your worth. Don't doubt that you are exceedingly special. You don't need to doubt it. When your coach thinks otherwise, when your dance team thinks otherwise, when your lunch group thinks otherwise, it doesn't matter. They're wrong. And I have no problem saying that. Because that's true. I think my mom loves me, but I've been grounded for the last two weeks, and she didn't get me the game that I really wanted for my birthday. So now I have evidence to doubt. What do I trust? What's, what's right? What's wrong? Does she love me or doesn't she love me? How would I know? But I put my faith in, hopefully, a lot of other evidence that her love is real. And last week I was an idiot, and I deserved to be grounded for a little while. I wasn't an idiot. I did something idiotic. Anyway, um, I do feel guilty after gossiping about my best friend behind your back, or my boyfriend. I do feel guilty. And when the church tells me that I'm wrong to gossip, and I feel guilty, is the church manipulating me? Or hopefully leading me to fix that? Because the guilt, like we talked about last week, that moral pain is supposed to be telling me that I did do some damage, and I need to fix it. I did commit sin. That, that image of our Lord, we talk about this sometimes on Good Friday. It says two things. You are awesome. You're worth everything. Your sin is horrific. When you use your freedom against God, it costs that. 
It's awful. Bring it to confession. Don't use your pride to say, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't care what the church says. I'm going to hold on to this one because I'm too proud. Go to confession. Be humble. Follow our Lord. Trust Him. He's trustworthy. Your pride, your vanity is not. Last one. You have a friend in England who tells you that really, contrary to what you've been taught in your textbooks, you Americans always think this opinion, really the British won the war of 1776. True or false? How would you know? Which one do you believe? Go for it. False. False. (laughs) And you tell your beloved British friend, you are wrong. Oh, you're so judgmental. That's so terrible to say such a thing. No, it's not. It's really not. If you know for a fact that they just didn't have the right information. Whatever conspiracy theory they were following, whatever news feed they were reading, whatever led them to that conclusion was not trustworthy, was not worthy of their faith. They put their faith in the wrong stuff. We should not have a hard time saying that. We do need to know the reasons why we put our faith in certain things. And the whole topic today is why are you putting faith in what Christ has revealed and what the community of the apostles has brought us, what the apostolic church continues to teach us. It's worthy of faith. Lord, increase that faith because it's very weak today. But there are reasons behind my faith and submitting my intelligence to scientists and medical textbooks and whatever else and to what God has revealed and the authority he gave to the apostolic community to Peter, who has the keys to help help guide us. It's just sad. We do it all the time in science and and medicine and history. You all know there's more written, documented evidence and testimony. Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth. Did he rise from the dead, yes or no? Yes. Is that your personal, irrational sentiment? Or is it fact? How would you know? It's history. How do you know any history? How do you know who won the war of 1776? I wasn't there. You weren't there. You're not that old. There's written testimony. Trustworthy, credible testimony. Are there written things to the contrary? Yes, some, but you can understand where they came from and why they were biased and not correct. Not to mention the martyrs. Not to mention, okay, war of 1776. You now stand in a country with a non-English flag. It's the American flag. All that we're living today It would not have happened if the opposite were true, that the British had won. We'd be flying British flags out there. You wouldn't be sitting in a Catholic church, coming before the Eucharistic banquet, having a a successor of Peter for 200 successors plus of Peter, the apostle with the keys to the kingdom, in the Vatican. None of that would be real. Honestly, if it were just a hoax, people might be stupid at times, but they're not that stupid for that long. There's so many reasons for our Christian and Catholic faith. Do you know them? And when we say, Lord, increase my faith, we're saying two things. Lord, increase my disposition to listen to you, to submit to your ways. There's something in me. Faith is first an attitude, trust. But also, Lord, help me find the reasons if I don't have them. Open me, open my mind to seek out and find 
why we believe what we believe. The church, that's one of the things about it. It's not sub-rational, irrational to believe. It, there are reasons for submitting my intelligence to what God has said, to what the Catholic Church teaches, to what history has shown. It's sometimes super rational, and so far as it is, kind of, we don't see people rising from the dead every day. That doesn't mean it never happened. Just because I didn't see something doesn't mean it didn't happen. Anyway, just a lot for us there. We really, really need to ask that, Lord, increase our faith. Allow me and all of us to be that light in the world of darkness today, a world of confusion and confusing ideas and beginning with the idea that no one can know the truth. That's a messed up idea. Um, Lord, help us not to cover the light of our faith under the bushel basket of insecurity, ignorance, fear of what people will think. You gave us this light, Lord, and it has come into our hands today. What are we doing with it? When people have questions, when our young people have questions, when our families have questions about life, death, morality, life issues, other issues that are controversial, let us not be silent. Let us know our stuff. Let us be filled with God's love for each person. And let us be the light and lighthouse that we were set up to be because our Lord's treasures are meant for everyone, but they do pass through the instruments he's called together, the church, the gathering. Gather together so they can send it out to bring his face to the entire world. Do I believe that? And where do I go to strengthen my faith? Amen? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.